Welcome to Visma Ski Classics podcast, Living You to Living. Visma Ski Classics is the long distance ski championships with 12 pro tour events and 35 pro teams, bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Welcome to a new episode, and we are so happy to have Daniel Tunnell here. Thank you. <laughs> uh, wh- what are you doing nowadays? Uh, I would say nowadays I'm a flower boy because I'm also uh, an, an owner of a flower shop. My wife is a florist and since many years and actually that's the reason why we back in the days started the company that's been running the, the team and all my professional skiing <laughs> is the same company that uh, that is running a flower shop. A big difference in the in the business. <laughs> But nowadays when we're having quite strange times I would say I'm really happy we actually have a flower shop it's a lot of things you know people send flowers to to say hello and and send uh, greetings to to each other when we don't have the possibility to visit each each other we send flowers so that's that's good I looked through old interviews I had done with you and I found one from 2009 and there you said you were an expert in creating these um, Christmas flower groups. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that I was. Your, I your was. specialty. <laughs> It was my specialty. Uh, Uh, yeah, I, I probably think I can do some some still. <laughs> I think I don't have what do you say in English? Green fingers. <laughs> uh, I don't definitely don't have that. But uh, there's a lot of things to do in the flower shop, so so it's uh, it's quite fun actually. Did you work there when you were a professional skier during the summers? Back then, I also worked in I, uh, half time in uh, what we say um, Swedish road administration. That's my actually my first my first job. So that was what I was doing uh, when my ski career as a professional skier, I would say, started. So I had half time there, but at the same time, we also started uh, or bought this flower shop. So it was uh, quite a lot to do. When I'm looking back at those days now I cannot imagine how I how, how I manage actually <laughs> but I was young then I know you got a big sponsor also in 2009 and since you are an engineer you were supposed to work there after your professional career mm. but, but I guess you're not working as an engineer now No, I don't. Uh, uh, I had that. That's what I was studying at the um, university, um, and also had the job in in the Swedish road administration for some years. But I kind of realized my passion were somewhere else. In the flowers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, it was the the skiing. It was there was my passion. So so. Uh, Uh, then we got the sponsor also in in uh, that time 2009. So I had opportunity actually when I uh, wanted to stop skiing to actually have a, a job at that place. But then um, I, I still wanted to ski and and uh, got new sponsors and stuff like that. So so 
so far it hasn't happened yet. But it's impressive. You're you're from Grixbo, which uh, is a small town, ten uh, kilometers from Fallen. And yes. The, mm. Your the whole service team is from Grixbo, or, or is that correct? It is my family, my relatives, my closest friend, <laughs> my my uh, club mates. <laughs> I would say in Grixbo. Yes, that's the uh, small village. I think we are like, or was at least uh, two thousand five hundred people or something. No, I'm uh, these days. I'm 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 living in Borlang and actually has done for the <laughs> for the last twenty uh, years or something. So so, um, but. Grixbo is always a big part of my 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 heart, my soul, uh, and a big part of my identity actually, and and that's quite important for me. More important than you actually can think. Uh, also, when you're speaking about the the uh, cross country skiing in my professional career, I would say that was a big part because uh, I'm always wanted to to ski on the right purpose. Uh, it's it's about skiing with your heart with passion and and those colors of grixbo is a big part you know who's uh, where i grew up what actually built my <laughs> the the little boy donel tinell back in the uh, growing up in that village so so it was important for me actually to to ski for for grixbo and those colors could you be a professional skier there for for so many years for 10 years without working no, without working, it is it's about I would say a uh, uh, a lifestyle being a, a skier, uh, and of course it was possible because of all my partners and and sponsors and uh, uh, everything around. But it was of course so much more than just training out there in the in the forest. <laughs> it's about working together, building relations with my partners. That was really important, and and uh, I think that was also a good reason we actually were able to to have Team Tunnel for so many years, because there were some partners um, uh, supporting me and the team for the whole career. I were were uh, representing Grixpo. Uh, which was and and the all the time that Team Tunnel existed, uh, which were for like almost 15 years when you look back, I think those relations were really important. And and by that we also had a lot of activities, of course, together with our partners. That was important. Yeah, you speak about this win-win situation, and and that was absolutely really important for me. So so a lot of activities also. Uh, together with the sponsors i mean it's it's really impressive i mean you also had uh, on the team uh, laila kveli and Eriksson, uh, yeah you mentioned your brother and yaralin and, and a few mm-hmm. others it can you if you look at teams in Vismaski classics today do you think they can learn from you're talking about that building a relation with sponsor like you really need to work with your sponsors to get them involved how, how do you think we can learn from Team Tunnel? I, I think uh, a lot of teams are doing it really, really well, for sure. Uh, one thing is for, for sure, it, it's uh, it's a lot of hard work to have a team in ski. I mean, to, to have a a pro team, to running a, a pro team in, in whatever sport it is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's about hard working and, and uh, 
so much more than just training out there in the in the track. Uh, it's about this building relations with with, with your partners for sure. Um, and I, I think a lot of ski classics teams is doing it really really well. I could also see maybe I don't know if we were quite early. My career started at uh, building this team. Daniel Tunnel from the start, it was back in 2005, 2006. And that's where the journey with, with the team think, <laughs> thinking started. And, and of course, we learned a lot from the early years, absolutely, which we had a lot of good experience when we started Team Tunnel. Just one more question about what you're doing now. You're working with the Nordenskjöldsloppet as well, correct? Mm, that's correct, yes. Uh, when will... So Nordenskjöldsloppet is, is um, 220k race in northern Sweden. What? what yeah, what, you know exactly how long it is, Erik. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done it once. <laughs> you have done it once, exactly. <laughs> I only have done it on scooter, snowmobile. <laughs> and I know it's long, it's really long. So, so what are you doing up there? Do, do, are you setting the course or what's your role? I have a role called sportive director. Uh, it is, and, and uh, it's it's about, of course, supporting the the, uh, the organization when it comes to to sportive uh, questions and and issues. Uh, you know, helping with the like we we have good conditions along the track. It's a good track, and supporting uh, all the athletes. Of course, it's it's good conditions for them and everything about it and the contacts with uh, especially the the top athletes i would say the elite skiers helping them them having a a good trip and a good visit up there in in Jokmok. will nordenskjöldsloppet be part of visma ski classics in a few years yeah i don't know i i i have met a lot of skiers uh, saying that would be the ultimate final <laughs> stage in in a ski classic series and i i totally agree that would be something to see all those uh, ski classics uh, athletes uh, uh, challenging each other in those 220 kilometers uh, 220 kilometer race for sure but um, of course it's a, it's a challenge uh, to be a ski classic race it's a, it's a big thing absolutely but i think it would be really really fun we'll see We'll see what happens. <laughs> you have won the Vasaloppet three times and you've been on the podium additional four times. You have won Koenig Ludwiglauf twice and been on the podium one more time. You've been on the podium in Marcelonga, in the Berkey, in the Engadin Ski Marathon, in Tartu Ski Marathon. And your favorite race is certainly Vasaloppet. Why is that? <laughs> It's it's a uh, it's a big question actually. Uh, I would say totally. It's it's so much more than my favorite race. Let's uh, wait a little. We'll we'll just give the listeners some um, to put it in a context. Yeah, no, to put it in a context. So many skiers are good at Vassal and not so good at other races, but you must be the most extreme one because I looked like when you won the Vassal at your first time in two thousand and two. Two weeks ahead of that, you were in 46th place in a Swedish FIS competition on, mm. uh, on a 15K skating race. You were many people there ahead of you were way behind you two weeks later in the Vasaloppet. And um, 
and then you won that race. And one week later, you did uh, the relay in um, Svenska Skidspelen for those um, different uh, counties in, in Sweden. And mm-hmm. you were dead last, actually. <laughs> Uh, and What's it's the it same important th- for you to mention this, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also interesting, like in 2014, you were seventh in the Vasaloppet, and a few weeks later, you were in 42nd place at nationals in 50 kilometers classic. Mm-hmm. So you are so extreme. Uh, why are you better in long distance skiing compared to to traditional skiing? Mm, it's actually a, a, a good question, I'm, and, and I'm quite happy you don't have looked. You haven't looked at, at the year 2001 <laughs> when I when I finished in, in uh, third place in Vasaloppet. Uh, that was my second Vasaloppet uh, in 2001, third place. One and a half months before that, in the Swedish National Championships in Philipstad, I think I was 100 and. I, I think I had like five skiers uh, behind me in the result list, so I wasn't even allowed to start the second day. <laughs> yeah, that was good times, but uh, quite exciting. And and then I managed to finish on third place one and a half uh, month later on Vasaloppet. So I even uh, asked myself that questions a lot of times, I would say. But it seems like ski races like Vasaloppet... Um, when you ski for a long time, yeah, longer the better. It's it seemed like it it fit me quite well because I had a a, a, a held to quite survive the first part, the first uphills in Vasaloppet and the the first uh, 45 kilometers. Even when we come up to Uxbury, you know, 60 kilometers, it was really tough. But then it seems like I I have the possibility to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and. And the skiers around me got tired and tired. And in the end, I was still in the leading group. So I kind of surprised myself many times. And of oh, course, so you, I, yeah. so you often suffered in the first hill. Absolutely. Total was totally dead. <laughs> I did. But it, it was a journey also building the self-confidence, I would say. Also, of course, it, it um, if you look at... at um, uh, the profile of the tracks when you come to skiing in, in Lugnet Fallen as a, on a World Cup track or a Swedish national, I mean, uh, ski track like that is, of course, a totally different profile. So so those kind of profiles, uh, when we come to Vasaloppet, seem to fit me really well. And also a lot of double pulling, which was, I guess, a, a big part of my strength. Let's listen to someone else that's good on um double pulling good, good at um at the double pulling yeah here is jürgen brink to race against armel was uh, much fun he was a skier who was uh, giving everything and was uh, always uh, trying to set up uh, a good speed and doing attacks and uh, he was a good skier. Both Daniel and me was the most uh, successful in Vasaloppet. Why? Uh, you can wonder, but uh, maybe I think it's the focus on a certain race. 
Another thing is uh, that the profile matches what kind of skills you have. I think uh, both for Daniel and me, it Vasaloppet uh, suited us uh, very well. And then the type of skier we were, we were not the lightest skier who was uh, the fastest guy in all the Shermis and Tour de Ski, for example. But uh, I think we can have uh, a high pace in uh, course like Vasaloppet. And we, we have... Uh, quite the similar abilities, I think. When you were doing hill races on roller skis and running, how was your performance? <laughs> uh, running was probably not my favorite thing, running in uphills, even though I liked the pain. I, I love the pain doing it. <laughs> but when you maybe look at the speed, I I'm for sure not the, the, the fastest one. But it's, uh, first of all, big words from a, a, a legend, Sjörgen Brink. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm touched <laughs> by those <laughs> words. But, of course, he, he pointed some uh, really important things when it comes to explaining why maybe was, I was successful at, at races like Vasaloppet. Um, I'm thinking one thing for sure. He mentioned the, the maybe not the lightest guys. <laughs> I would say they probably quite few that were heavy under heavier than than me <laughs> how heavy how tall and how heavy were you mm, eric <laughs> i i once shocked Anders outline when i showed him my weight <laughs> was it 90 kilos yeah it was uh, more than that i would say when when i finished uh, when, when i won was 2009 and the years after there it was more like 93 94 kilo, uh, kilos yeah 93 are you 94. the heaviest vasaloppet winner <laughs> <laughs> man that would be uh, something to to leave that <laughs> be, be on top on that list i don't know yeah maybe Jürgen Auckland, he, he didn't um, have the possibility to be recorded, but, but he wrote uh, a few things. And he, just like uh, Jürgen, he mentioned the focus, that you're very good at focus mm. to the race. Uh, and uh, and he also mentioned that your Vaslopet was your favorite and Marshalonga was maybe not the greatest thing with us last hill mm. um, even though you reached the podium once. Uh, but he also just like Jürgen Brink mentioned that you were you were skiing with a heart you were doing attacks and you were brave and you were you were fun to ski with i know that both <laughs> Anders and Jürgen they really look up to you as a as a skier since the way you're skiing what like what can you develop how you're the way you were skiing Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing to hear those words, of course. Uh, but I I, I heard Jürgen Brink mention he were doing his thing, which is quite important for me. Actually, it was important for me to ski my way, and and uh, yeah, it's it's good. It's uh, really I'm I'm touched by hearing those words from from the guys uh, and friends I've been skiing with during the years, because because that's what I wanted to do: ski my way, ski with my heart. Yeah, what is that? But but it was important for me to 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 kind of um, uh, be offensive in the track. I wanted to be there in the front and push and yeah, I wanted to feel the pain and go hard and let the other feel the pain if I had the strength for it. It was important for me. 
Even though it might have been not good tactically? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's 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 hard. To, I, I when I say it myself, I, I it, it sounds crazy, but it was actually more important for me to ski my way than actually winning the race. Yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but it was like that. <laughs> it was important for me to ski with my heart, and and I I didn't want to cross that finish line and feel it i i didn't do my really really best out there and and push the the <laughs> the maximum out of my body and 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 uh, not doing i would say not doing my best of course i were, were doing but i wanted to ski that way i wanted to be there in the front and and pushing push hard and controlling the race if i had the possibility did it give you extra energy you think so like it on a total it took you faster to to mura like you 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 got energy to be in the front and feeling strong absolutely of course it was uh, even when you look looking back at the career it's of course quite few times you have that moments <laughs> i'm really grateful i had quite many in vasalope track and and also how it the 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 outcome of it, the results I've been able to to achieve in Vasalopet, of course, but those moments when you are having that feeling that you ever even can break out in Vasalopet, you can be there pushing and and see the other getting tired and tired, and you you feel strong still and 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 uh, recovering really well, and and then go up pushing again and and getting the gap. That's amazing feeling, and and. That's the spirit of my way of skiing and the feeling that actually were giving me inspiration and energy for doing all the hard work and, and, and uh, uh, yeah, for doing that, what was necessary for me actually to, to keep the motivation on top. And you have said that when you, you won a race in 2002 and 2006 and 2009, and you said that the victory in 2009, that was your like your best day, like uh, according to the shape. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say uh, those three times is a totally different experience, totally different feeling of it. Um, the first thing, the first year, the first time I would say 2002. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the first time. It's always the first time. It's actually that moment, those seconds on that finish in in Mura, changed my life forever. Totally changed my life. Uh, it got totally different <laughs> afterwards. Uh, so so that's a big part of my identity for sure. Uh, the second win in 2006, it was more like, oh, oh it was so good to actually sh to show myself and also to my 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 um, uh, the people around me, my, the the everybody actually following cross country skiing. It was a, a kind of feeling. I'm so I'm so glad to show that the first time was not a one time thing. That when it is Vasalopet, you you need to count on Daniel Tunnel. That's the feeling I, I had in 2006. But then when you come to 2009, it's about to putting everything together. It's the result of 
the perfect uh, preparation, the, the result of perfect uh, uh, racing, the perfect uh, shape, the recovering, everything, the perfect, in my way, the way I wanted to ski, uh, and also the outcome, of course that I was able to finally break out and, and uh, go the last kilometers alone into uh, Yamura and, and into the finish line. So uh, it, it's when I'm looking back at my career, it was the best ski race of my career. I've heard you said you recommend uh, to win Vasselop at the, the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's <laughs> now when I don't ski anymore uh, uh, and hasn't been doing it for five years. Uh, it's like still, where do I find that feeling in the in in my life? <laughs> Can do you find that feeling? Uh, I don't know. It's it's maybe a different feeling in what you do, but I'm I'm I'm. Those that kind of feeling, those kind of moments, that kind of experience, uh, uh, I proudly put in my backpack <laughs> for my for the rest of my life. Of course, it's it's something I'm I'm really proud of that feeling, and and I don't know if I can compare that feeling. I don't know if if it's important even to do it because uh, you have uh, you have a wife and two you have kids yeah yeah two and kids how old are, <laughs> i do yeah no, how old are they uh, the youngest is nine years old and and the oldest is uh, becoming 15 years but when uh, for example when uh, your kids uh, learn to bike or, or, or get good grades in school or get a handsome girlfriend or, or paint something nicely or yeah. whatever that makes you prouder kids how would you compare those kind of feelings to 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 achieve something in sports yeah of course it's it's uh, I mean, a, a kind of feeling of, of totally happiness and, and uh, uh, touch in, all the way into your soul. Uh, big moments you, you also put in the backpack, uh, happy to and grateful to, to kind of experience. But somehow it's, it's kind of different uh, feelings, different. And I don't know. It's like it's not important for me to compare <laughs> <laughs> those kind of feelings i'm i'm just happy to be able to yeah to to experience them we're going to listen to your brother rickard mm -hmm. we are brothers and um, he's 10 years older than me so i saw what he did in the in the with the, the cross country skis on the foots uh, especially when he he did start to to ski long distance skiing. I, I saw that, yeah, you know, Vasaloppet, uh, he has three victories there. And around, I think it was 2010, I did my first race in long distance skiing. And I, and I thought if he could do it, maybe I got some kind of skills that he got. And, and maybe that is is the way I should go also, try the, the long distance skiing. So in, in some way he, he showed me what I maybe can do on the skis. To race in the same team with my brother 
has been a really nice travel, uh, if I say so. It started in uh, 2011, I think it was. The relays in Daniel will have in the future for the skiing. I think he always will have some kind of relation to the skiing. For example, maybe some kind of a trainer, coach, or be a, a, a part of a competitions as, uh, uh, you know, Nordenskjöldsloppet and uh, stuff like that. Uh, and, and maybe helps and coaches own children on the skis in the future. That was your your brother, your te- ten year younger brother, Rickard. Yes. <laughs> was guessing about your future. Yeah, it's good to hear about my future. Rickard, he has won a Vismaski Classics race when it was in the circuit, which yeah. is something that actually you don't have done. Can, can you tell us about, because you were part of when he won La Diagonela in 2014. How, how did you experience it? Uh, it's, it's for sure uh, a historical race, I would say. And probably... It it's it was so exciting. Uh, it, it was strange. It was a, a a totally different experience. It was uh, the feeling of successfulness for for the team in many ways. Uh, it was a race doing with the heart and totally happiness in a new way. When your brother managed to 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 achieve that kind of uh, victory and, and uh, experience also for, for, for him and experience for me. It was uh, it was totally crazy. It was nothing we decided before, uh, absolutely not. We've been talking about a tactical way, you know, if somebody managed to, to get in a leading group or something, of course, we uh, I, I will not be the one or he will not be the one pushing to close uh, close the, the the group uh, like that and but it was totally it was definitely nothing we have planned it was more like we were uh, lapping uh, halfway the race in a uh, two times 25 kilometers so it was a, a, a part where a lot of uh, athletes were having their feeding stations but we didn't and and Rickard was in, in we were quite in in front of the group he was kind of second and i was in fifth place or something in the group and 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 the one before Rickard and between me and Rickard all of them were having their the drink but we didn't so we were just uh, yeah you know gliding down the the downhill and when we came to the bottom, Rickard had a, a, a gap to me, and yeah, it was maybe not more than than thirty meters or something. But I didn't uh, put any effort at all <laughs> to to kind of close the gap to Rickard, and was thinking, ah, somebody else need to do this. And Rickard were quite fast, uh, uh, you know, looking back and see that no one were 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 trying to catch him. So so he just kept on pushing. Of course, he had no. Uh, uh, no thoughts at all that that's that this could lead to a victory. Absolutely not. But the far he gets, he actually kind of realized the gap got bigger and bigger and bigger. So uh, some part, I don't know when uh, how how close to the finish, but maybe uh, seven eight kilometers or something. It was uh, more than a minute actually. So so uh, it's crazy here. 
managed to win in the end by like four seconds or something. So it was really, really exciting. And in my way, it's the only race I've been skiing uh, who was, which was all about going as slowly as possible. <laughs> it's the only race I've been doing <laughs> that was about that. So really, really strange to be there and, and just to do it, of course, in a nice way uh, to, to, to go as, as slowly as possible. Uh, and, and actually, because you had a good day as well, you were top ten. Yeah, I was top ten, really good, and we had amazing skis uh, that day also. So everything came together, kind of thing. But it also was it was really exciting to see that one skier can be there and kind of affecting the group, affecting the tactic in the group. Uh, yeah. That that was was uh, uh, the first time I, exp I experienced that in in that way. <laughs> to turn things around, like from the the from the positive to the negative, what to say? But I mean, you you weren't so ski classic started in 2011, and you weren't as successful from that on as you were before. Like all your five victories you took before. Mm -hmm. Have you, have you analyzed those that, I mean, of course you were successful, you were on the podium several times, but it wasn't, you didn't have the victories. Uh, what what mm. do you think? Uh, could be many things, of course. Uh, of course, when, when Ski Classics uh, uh, started and, and were growing more and more skiers, so of course it was... Uh, harder and harder to to actually be be there on the top. So many good athletes, so many strong athletes. Uh, that's that's one thing for sure. Uh, I don't know. I had some some really good race, but didn't manage to 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 be there uh, on on the top of those podiums. Uh, even though I did probably quite. Uh, I mean. This achieving the, the performance was on the same level as when I was were, were winning a race. Can you can you measure it by roller ski time trials or running time trials or or how much weight you're lifting or like do you were you for example were you when you were in third place in Kenish Ludwiglauf in 2014 were you better than compared to when you won the race? Uh, eight years earlier, seven. Uh, hard to say. If I, yeah, in in some way, uh, it's it's a uh, the whole career. When you look at as, as as the skiing career, it's a journey of always uh, uh, challenge yourself trying to be better and better and, and learn from what you're doing. That's the way I, I look from it. And of course, I probably did uh, stuff and things that that maybe not lifted me all the time. If I were a better skier or not, it's it's hard to say. I see it as a journey as I'm, I'm becoming a, a better and better athlete, even if the results maybe not were... were uh, Ah, as good, I don't know. Yeah, probably you can say. <laughs> uh, but, I, I but, was uh, I was hard to you, but uh, yeah, still. But I, I totally understand uh, also the question. I see myself as as uh, it's a journey of becoming better, better athletes and a better uh, skier. 
So that I could see, but still those moments when I had that uh, feeling of, of also with, when the outcome is, is on top, those were the, I mean, back in those years, looking in, in uh, 2009 and 2010, that Vasa when I finished second, probably as the performance from my side, probably exactly the same as, as 2009. The big difference was that one skier were faster than me. Also looking in, in uh, 2012 and, and 2013, for example, when I also finished second, it's, it's, I'm, I'm so happy if, about my performance that I did. Uh, also, you know, what we talked about before, it's, I wanted to ski my way, uh, which were important. You could probably look at things in a tactical way that could maybe help me <laughs> or in the end of course you never know but but it could lead to a better result in the end but it was also really important for me to to ski that way i wanted do you understand my philosophy yeah, yeah of course absolutely <laughs> i mean many on the men's side, people, they don't stop skiing. I mean, you skied to, to, until you were almost 40 and Jari Alin was mm -hmm. well over 35. So would Br Jürgen Brink, you have, we have Anders Aukland, Jürgen Aukland, Oskar Sverd. Mm -hmm. Many skiers, they hang on. Like, when do you think it's, it's getting really tough? Like, could you feel when you were 39 that, oh, okay, now it's hard to be in good shape? Or what's your, did you feel just like when you were 29? No, I was thinking also, I mean, speaking about uh, um, what we did, I mean, also the age, some way, some time will be a factor uh, and, and, and will affect. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, then, of course, we are all different <laughs> and looking at Anders Auckland it's it's uh, always amazing I and mean, always fascinating he was the the man giving me inspiration <laughs> in in uh, in the early days and he, he is still skiing you know and and still racing and doing it it absolutely still i mean uh, in in top positions but some sometime yeah the age of course affected and and that could be a reason also i mean answering your question there uh why it was maybe harder for me so yeah but, but it wasn't something that you were like feeling ah, feeling a feeling it's, it's hard to say I, I always think it's about uh, uh, a, a big puzzle uh, so of course it could be a big part uh, a big part it, it could be a, a, a some kind of factors small part I would say but uh, I cannot say I I feel it okay now I'm I'm, I'm too old for this and, uh, and uh, it it was harder for me I cannot say it's it was the age but for sure it could be one one small reason if we look at your training, you were doing not just uh, skiing, you, you were pretty good at biking. You have some good uh, mountain biking results. You were doing some uh, road biking, mountain biking and motocross and enduro, like with engines. Mm. How, how, what about your, your interest for things with two wheels? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why it's it's uh, all the way back when I was a, a young kid. I I didn't have the possibility to go like motocross uh, uh, when it come to the engine at least uh, when I was young because it was uh, I I had to save the money 
<laughs> all the way up to like 22, 23 years or something. That's when I bought my first motocross. But but today is the big passion for me, big passion. And, and the one thing I, I love the most doing it when it comes to, to training and training activities, that's one thing. But then I also love, you know, mountain biking, road biking and being on on. on uh, doing cycling for sure. Uh, Didn't really you do Marsha Longa one year? I did, actually. I did. Uh, together with Jerry, I had a bad, better experience than, than Jerry because he crashed after some kilometers. <laughs> but I managed to the finish. But that was on road biking. But if we compare road biking and, and mountain biking, I, I would prefer mountain bike. So it's more about, uh, you know, being out there on the trails and, and uh, also even technical parts. I, I love that kind of things. How are you training when you were at your top? Like, of course, it's a big question, but like, what do you think you did uh, that was something different from other people? Yeah, I don't know what's the different. I, I had some some coach which were important for me. Uh, I, I never had those, you know, uh, training uh, diaries that I needed to follow. It it was more about uh, finding the right purpose for every session, finding the right purpose to get the the, the top motivation why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, then, of course, it was finding the right activity for me, which we, of course, measured uh, uh, how I, how well I recovered between the, the training sessions. So it, it was actually not the, the most important for me was not what I was doing during the, the training session. It was how well I did recovering between the sessions. Then, of course... Uh, was it, this uh, Christer Skog? Was that Christer Skog, yes, Exactly. He was the, the coach for me when you come to the physical training. Yes. And how did he measure your recovery? First beat, the heartbeat, uh, the, the recovery index uh, in the heartbeat. Also like the RR value, like the exactly. variation. Yeah, the variation between yeah. the heart, the time between the heartbeats. Exactly. The RR values. So when we come during the winter and the preparation for races like Vasalopet, which of course was the main goal for me, even if I did not want it or not. <laughs> I, I had a, the belt on me uh, recording the, the heartbeat and the variation, those values to be able to, to see how well I recovered. I, I had it 24-7 uh, uh, the, the last two, three months before Vasalopet. So it was about to doing the, the right choice each day. Uh, so it, it wasn't important for me to kind of, uh, you know, three weeks from now, I'm, I'm on Monday, I will do a, a four hour session. Uh, it was not important. It was important for me to, what can I do today? Because you really listened to that uh, first beat thing. Yeah, I did. Absolutely. And of course, the feeling I had myself, of course, but it uh, always, I would say, uh, um, was the same. It, 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 you could read it. It was even like, you know, Christer calling me, even if he have seen the values, he calling me and check and, and, and I answer. And yeah, that's what I see. <laughs> on, did on the other people use that thing? Like, was it common? Uh, I don't know. I, I think Christer was quite early 
uh, uh, using it. Would you say you, you trained tougher because of that or did you take it more easy because of that? Sometimes I probably could train really tough because of that. And sometimes I needed to, you know, press the brake and, and make it really slowly like that. But it was also, it was, I kind of realized that we are totally different. We are totally unique. You cannot put the same uh, program for one person, uh, for two different person and expect we get the same result. That's one thing I learned. Because Christa, of course, also worked with somebody else. I, I, I know he worked with uh, Martin Kokal, for example, and we were totally different when it comes to, to the uh, res responding on the training sessions. Because you could tolerate a high pace in long workouts. Ah, uh, I would say I could tolerate a lot of time in low intense. A lot of time doing low intense training but I was quite sensitive for high-intense training. I could not do many sessions and be able to recover. What did you get your VO2 max to? Oh, yeah, that was a long time ago, Eric. Uh, I measured that. <laughs> uh, above six something, I think. Six liter per minute. But, you know, still, yeah, you, you hear my... <laughs> <laughs> my doubt about it and that probably uh, explaining uh, uh, that it was not that important for me to know <laughs> yeah because if you divide that with your weight you get a value that's not so intimidating no that's why i didn't want to look at it <laughs> no it was not to, it was not that important for me to know of course it it was a, a a check for sure and of course to to see if the training if you respond on the training and everything but but still in the end isn't important when it's come to to winning vasaloppet or or not T talking about important things for winning races what do you know what your personal best in bench press is uh I, I know a lot of people uh, get surprised when I say that uh, I never did train in a gym. Because <laughs> when you look at me, many would, would think that because, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm big and, of course, yeah, muscular. <laughs> at least when I were an, an, an elite skier. Nowadays, I'm not. But but <laughs> but you would think I was do, spend a lot of time in gym training, but I, in, in but I, I didn't. Never actually, because it's more maybe about a genetical uh, thing. But uh, you did some strength, yeah, like without weights. Yeah, exactly, uh, like that. And and but in the latest uh, years of my career, it was more about doing strength train uh, training on on uh, on skiing or roller skiing. I remember I tried bench press when i was like 16 15 16 years or something and, and yeah it was i managed 100 or something back then oh. but uh, nah it's it hasn't been important for me to to be a good at bench pressing <laughs> yeah. do you know your total training volume for a year a lot of people will also be surprised when i say that i never had my training diary during my professional skiing career 
<laughs> of course, I put my plan and everything, but it was not important for me also to know the time I were doing. So I, I actually don't know. It was like oh, when we put when we go for a camp, for instance, uh, me and Christer, uh, Christer planning a, a, a camp, uh, ten day camp or something. It could be like we're doing uh, more than thirty hours or something uh, for a, a camp like that. But then I also could do like one week with with uh, five six hours if it was that purpose. So in the end, I don't know if I did like uh, 600 or 800 hours. I don't know, actually. And it wasn't that important for me. <laughs> Can you understand that philosophy? It was more about, of course, I, I know I need to train hard and do a hard session. But if I'm not able to recover from it, then it doesn't matter. Always being on the right uh, right side to, to have the balance in it. In general, like... Uh, do you think if you, uh, skiers are training like too hard or too easy, do you think people could train much harder than they're doing if they would have been like listened to their recovery, for example? Probably it's they could could. Yeah, I think so, actually, if they, and, and I, I guess many top athletes do today. My philosophy is, is like that. How can you know what is best for you in two weeks? It's so easy. You put your plan and then you're strictly following it. And if you're feeling bad one day and, and uh, you're not able to do uh, the second session that day, which is, which is planned three weeks ago, that you should do like two hours, ten minutes. And if you don't do that session, you feel bad. <laughs> I think many people can uh, realize it and 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 have that feeling. I actually think, but then it's it's not the right purpose for me. It's it's like, how can you know what is best for you in 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 three weeks? You, you don't have a clue what kind of feelings and and uh, the situation. If you're alive, yeah, in three weeks. <laughs> exactly. If you're so. alive that day, you know, with all, all your daily activities, being a father and and have your work and everything, and and um, I mean, how your recovery index looking that day, and how you feel in a mentally way, how can you know that? Uh, of course, it's good to have a plan and a purpose with your training for the next coming three weeks. But if you do that session and it's one and a half hour or two and a half, ah, I don't know if that's the most important thing. Back in the days, long distance skiing tend to not eat carbohydrates so much and not eat so much at all actually and train very hard for a few days and then eat like there was no tomorrow for a few days and then go racing can you can you tell me about how you it sounds like you, you are explaining me exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly the way i did and back in the in the early days of my my long distance career you know you know when you are doing vasaloped for the first time ah you're going to ski 90 kilometers it's hell of a distance you know and you are a young guy and of course you looked at what the heroes in the early days did and uh, i remember sven erik danielsson in the middle of the 90s you know and they were doing that kind of preparations uh, no carbohydrates and training a lot really but there was a lot. like on Wednesday and Thursday or, or like 
take us through the week? Yeah, I did. I did uh, first time, first years. I actually started on Monday, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I did those kind of training, brutal training, and no eating, no carbohydrates. So I, I was dead. I was dead uh, when it came to Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> so you were doing like tons of hours and good pace. Exactly. And Exactly. And, you know, you had the feeling you like you were lying in the bed uh, with fever. <laughs> and it was Wednesday before the most important race of the season. Uh, and, and, and then, of course, I, I were eating like it was no tomorrow, the coming days. Um, but the thing is, in 2001 which was my second race. I did that preparation. I did uh, learn a lot from, from the first year when I uh, ate like hell all, all the way into Sunday morning also. So I was standing with a stomach looking like a big balloon <laughs> <laughs> on the starting line. Uh, I learned a lot from that race. So I, I, in, in 2001, my second race, I kind of find a way that actually worked quite well. And since I managed to to finish on third place following Stefan Larsson and Henrik Eriksson all the way to the finish line in a, in a sprint. Of course, I, I, I got a, a self-confidence in that preparation. I did the same in 2002 and all the way races I did. Then I, I find a, a, a coach also when it comes to, to nutrition and energy and, and food. Uh, and together with him, I also learned a lot uh, and kind of put uh, a, a better, a better preparation uh, with also with kind of <laughs> Was that Mi Nula Magnus Lillander, exactly. Magnus Lillander. Yeah. So he didn't like that the regime with uh, skiing for... Uh, <laughs> nah, the, the... He liked actually. And of course, there's a, a, a knowledge about it and a, a, a philosophy doing that preparation but together with magnus it got less and less extreme i would said would say he totally supported it uh, and and the science about it uh, and behind it so, so the, the science is that you you empty your reserve of glycogen and when you fill it up again there will get Overfilled, yeah, and optimized kind of thing. Uh, that's the philosophy, and and for me it worked. I know a lot of people and uh, athletes. It it didn't work a uh, at all, and of course it's a risk about it. If you need to be among uh, people and working uh, the muscle up at week, I wouldn't recommend doing it. Actually, <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. But but I, I got uh, a self confidence <laughs> in doing it, of course, and and kind of uh, trying to optimize it also together with Magnus and in the last years it was I was the the empty part uh, as you could say was like not more than mm, 30 hours or something and it was in the middle of the week like uh, uh, Wednesday Thursday and then I started to eat again and fill up the the reserves you weren't able to decide by yourself when you were quit to quit skiing uh, exactly yes can you tell us about that in uh, in it was close to Vasaloppet it was actually it was uh, in the Vasaloppet week or in the beginning of the Vasaloppet week in 2015 uh, let's say in into that focus uh, which i were able to to go into 
each year when it when you got closer and closer to to Vasaloppet, that kind of Vasaloppet bubble, if you understand. <laughs> I was totally in that one, uh, uh, aiming for the fourth victory. That was the preparation. So I did this the the first race, uh, Kortvasan, that uh, 30 kilometers race, uh, which started all Vasaloppet week. I did it as a preparation uh, for for the main race of the year, and and had a quite good feeling actually quite good race uh, yeah it was perfect which i wanted to be where i wanted to be one and a half week before that race i'm really lucky that it happened in uh, you know recovery time like two three hours after the race finish finishing the race it and it suddenly happened just like uh, yeah you know from absolutely nothing i got a, a small burst in in a blood vessel in the heart from totally nothing and and quite dramatic for me absolutely and and uh, uh, yeah how did you recognize that <laughs> Uh, it's it's the same kind of symptoms I would say as a heartache. Do you say that? <laughs> Infarct. I don't know the the, the English word oh, from yeah. it. There was a, a serious heart disease or a... uh, yeah, it was uh, a, a burst in a vessel which happened there and at hospital doing the yeah observation. It is also operation. You could say uh, they realized and, and could see that uh, kind of thing. So they actually fixed it uh, that vessel but but the consequences from having that is an effect on the heart muscle like you get a, a kind of wound because because of uh, um, oxygen in the blood yeah you understand that one so so you get a wound on on the heart muscle and and that's the the effect i i got then and, and from that day and from that what happened i need to i have to live with the recommendation the recommendation to avoid uh, high intensity pressure on on in a physical way uh, to avoid that and especially in a in long time which was exactly what i did as a long distance skier so from one second to another Everything changed. Uh, everything changed. Were changing in 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 my life. Of course, uh, it's it's a um, shock and and uh, quite dr- dramatical change. How so? You were just. Uh, what did you do those days? Like how how did you think? Like how did you handle it? Who did you talk to? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really thankful and grateful for building the team around me as a skier an athlete with all the coaches uh, from the one i mentioned you know magnus and and christer and not at least the mental coach and all my family and friends which was a big part of the team i had around me as an as an athlete they were so important for me uh, during this time it's it's been a journey i'm still in that journey now it's past like five and a half uh, uh, more than five years uh, i would say but looking back on, on that journey i still see the first week as the toughest one like trying to accept uh, what happened and the, and the shock and trying to accept um, that life 
can change and, and what's happened and, and realize, yeah, one thing, of course, is that the ski career ended and it ended in a way, of course, I never could, <laughs> could uh, uh, imagine. But like, how did you feel mentally that, that spring? Could you, like, were you half depressed or could you hang on as a, in the normal life? Yeah, I, I, I could uh, um, realize myself. I was quite early answering the question I got from, from people around. How are you, Daniel? Man, how are you feeling? And I could... I could quite early in that journey answer ah it's great it's absolutely great only a bit different than it was before so i, I was quite early to to see uh, i'm i'm grateful kind of thing that that i'm i'm still alive because it happened yeah you know it's it's not unusual people die you know from kind of diseases like this i'm i'm really grateful it didn't happen uh, you know two or three hours before being out there in the track pushing maximum out in the forest that it actually happened where it did so i was was uh, grateful for to see i was able quite early to see what i still have not what I lost. And, and I think that I were actually able to, to, in a mental way, working like that and, and trying to look at that way, which hasn't for sure been easy, but I was trying, able to work with myself in that way is so much more, so much because of the way I've been working as an athlete, working as the skier. Because I need to, to find the, the things that can inspire and motivate me in tough times. That's what being a top athlete is about. Being in those extremely tough uphills, I need to find motivation to still go on, you know, fighting that, <laughs> that pain and fighting, uh, finding the, the best possibilities to reach the top. That's also how it worked in, in being in this kind of uphill. What kind of substitute did you use for the training? Like, is that work or is that the, the, the bike, the motocross? Or, or what's, like, what's the most important substitute for skiing? I'm not able anymore in the rest of my life to put on a bib, stay uh, standing on a starting line and trying to race with the same purpose as before. That's something I'm not able to do. But then if it's about finding a substitute for that, I don't know. But training and physical activity for me is probably the most one of the most important things in my life today to be able to do that and that, and that I can I'm not only able to do it in a maximum pressure but but uh, I can still train and exercise there's no limit for that at all just trying to avoid those uh, high intense uh, training so I would say physical activity and, and training I could say in one way it's actually has bigger values for me in my life today do you understand when i'm when i'm saying yeah, that see. <laughs> it's yeah. about uh, uh, in invest in yourself invest in your life and, and building the best best possibilities to to feel well uh, 
not about going the fastest in the track. It's about <laughs> to feel well and, and, and yeah. It's uh, it's amazing talking to to you, Daniel. We're already over time okay. here. We, <laughs> but we need just one more question. Yeah. Uh, if you look into the future for Vismaski Classics, what would you like? More races, few racers, longer, shorter, or what? What do you want for the schedule? Of course, it's always about trying to develop. It is for sure. Uh, it's it's hard to say. I'm I have been there as an athlete myself. I've been there as a team coach, running a team and everything. And it, it's tough in one way to running a team in, in a big circuit, especially when it comes to more and more races. So mm, I'm not sure we should put more races in a in the ski classic circus but then yeah maybe trying to change races or or yeah that you are able to go in with new and and out with some races and 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 go back again maybe that's a reason i don't know if it if it's the best way to put in more races especially not when you come maybe from uh, uh, december to april I don't know, could it be during other months of the year? Because we don't know actually how skiing on snow looks in the future. Climate change, how will that affect, yeah? I don't know if it's, it's, if it's a good answer to the question yeah. at all. <laughs> we'll, take that, uh, we'll take that answer and we'll say <laughs> thank you so much, Daniel. Uh, thank you too, Eric. Thank you so much. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.